Hi, well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast with James Tosland. I know I certainly did, and so did Gav. Uh, with regards to swearing, there's a little bit, not much. I got a little bit carried away when I was telling a few stories. Standard for me. So uh, hope you enjoy and just be aware. Now then. Now then. Uh, oh, James has just texted me. It's a, diff- it's a different name. He's just texted me. So that first one was wrong. I'll just forward it on to you. All right. Okay. Yeah, no worries. So that'll, that'll make it a bit easier. No dramas. No worries, mate. No worries. I was doing Australian. I was doing French. <laughs> hey, have you been watching... Uh, now, this will be an interesting one for you. Have you been watching Gordon, Fred and... Uh, Gino, uh, I've seen it before. I've not. I've not seen it this time. Yeah, good. I like it, and I, I, I thought I wonder if Gav likes it. I've, I've got a feeling you won't like it. It's an easy watch. I, I don't mind it at all. Actually, I think yeah. it's inoffensive. Yeah. Well, it is yeah. a bit offensive actually in some bits when, yeah. when tops off and things like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah it's, I'm, I'm not. I quite. I quite like Gordon Ramsay. Do you really? See, I didn't think you'd like him. Yeah, I, I quite. I quite like the angriness. I quite like an angry man. My favourite comedians are likes of uh, Jack D and uh, Larry David. I love Kirby Enthusiasm. You know, angry, just <laughs> angry, yeah. ranting men. Because it's yeah. just very similar to myself. Yeah, it's funny, but people who don't know us, well, I'm, 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 I'd be completely wrong. People who don't know us probably think we're really nice people, me and you. <laughs> we're a right pair of morning bastards um, <laughs> when, when, when we get in the car together. Oh, my goodness. The Sorry. world is put to rights. Put, put to rights. I've got and, some and more right. running to do today. Oh, God. I'm looking forward to it. What, what, what's, 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 what's grinding your gears? I went back to the bank. Remember last time we recorded, yep. I yep. Uh, went. I had to give it up because we were speaking to Johnny Ray. Which uh, I have to say, I'm still enjoying actually, Johnny. It was one of those, he's so understated and so, you know, just talks calmly and everything, but says some great stuff actually. When I went through it and edited, it took a while to edit, so I do apologise again to anyone who waited a while for that. But hopefully, we'll make up to it with this one and uh, hopefully they enjoyed the Johnny Ray one. Uh, yeah, so anyway, I'd been, I went back to the bank. It took me two hours to get served and I was in and out within 30 seconds. Uh, and yeah. it was only to use a machine. As in. But I went into the bank to use the ATM, effectively. Right, yeah. Which is rather frustrating. when you Sounds like a waste of time. Waited around the corner. Well, I had to pay in a cheque. I had to pay in a cheque. Well, here he is. Here sent, he by, is. sent by the insurance but, company, so, yeah. Billy Big, Billy big Balls. Um, yeah, so that was, that was my uh, morning ranks. I was, it was cold. It was cold. I'm used to boiling hot weather here, but uh, yeah, it's been cold. So I was stood outside for two hours and, uh, yeah, I just thought that, that I don't understand everyone's, they're trying to stop concentration to people, but there were a hundred people waiting in the queue. Yeah. But were you, you were two meters apart though. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But everyone in the queues frustrated as well. Yeah. Cause I know what you're like. Do you, how grumpy do you get if someone's really close to you, like stood behind you? Uh, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't be happy. Yeah, I'm not good. Would with, you? I'm not good. Would with, you say something? No, of course I wouldn't. Would you, I'm British. <laughs> I'm British. I'll stand. I'll stand there. I'll and stand see. here and seethe internally yeah. and really yeah. grind my teeth together. Yeah, but I wouldn't say anything. What do you think I am? No. Mad? Well, I think I'm Evans American. Forbid. 
<laughs> yeah, or, no, Italian. Italian. Yeah, Italian. Yeah. Hey, they'd be shaking their hands, wouldn't they? Hey, yeah. Whatever. Cacazzo yeah. fighter, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, uh, JT, it's a different, it is a different Skype name. It's a, got a capital T at the start. Ah, right. Okay. Same name. Yeah, yeah. He said, try that. That might work. He just texted me whilst you were talking, and that's why I sounded vague. Yeah, so. not, not because it was quite a vague story anyway. So I don't, I don't blame you for zoning out. I no, actually no. almost zoned out myself. Yeah, yeah. Poor Kate. Like your missus. Yeah. She, God Almighty, she it's must have to wear earplugs at, at times. How are you? Uh, just quickly before we speak to Sorry, yeah. uh, our guest today, James Tolsland. How are you getting on with your uh, home drinking? How has it been going well, well? I'm not doing much, uh, mate. I've nearly lost a stone now. Oh. So that's all from not drinking. Um, really? I think most of that weight loss, though, came from um, cutting my hair. Uh, I self-administered. I've got such a mullet. So I managed to do the sides. And obviously, but obviously, I can't do the back. Kate started to do the back, but I'm a control freak. And yeah. her, she's obviously quite nervous about messing her, my hair up as well. And I could just tell, you know, when you can tell, I don't know if you ever had. Hang on a, no, hang on a minute. Hang on. This is the bit I'm confused. You've cut the front. No, I haven't cut the front. Kate was going to, she was going to cut the back. The bit that like, was helpful. You know, really helpful. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You don't want it to be messy at the back. Do you realise you have no hair at the back? Just, you <laughs> do need top. to know. Someone that's, needs to tell you. That's the top. It's sort of fallen out. No, so I've not touched the top or the, uh, the sunroof. Uh, just the side, okay. so it looked tidy, right? Because I've got a bit of a bird's nest. Anyway, so she's doing the back, but I could, I could just tell that she was being tentative. And, yeah. And in the end, I got, I got aggro. This was before we were going on air on Sunday. So if anyone noticed on Sunday that it's sort of quite long, it'd look awful from the from the sides or back anyway. But uh, as it is, I made sure I sat square front on. So. Right. Yeah. Jobs are good. Job job is a good one. Uh, and um, we also, we enjoyed our chat, didn't we, with Carmelo on uh, Greatest Race. If anyone hasn't seen it, honestly, you have to go and watch it if you're a MotoGP fan. Actually, if you're a Superbike fan as well, which you probably are if you've uh, heard Johnny Ray and you're about to listen to James Tozeland, you probably like uh, all of it. And uh, interesting what he said about getting racing back going, basically saying towards the end of July, that is that where they're aiming for. Now, Neil, you've been of the opinion that we're not going to get any racing this year. Did Carmelo change your opinion of that? Yes. You know me, I'm fickle anyway. I've got a strong opinion, but I'm prepared to change it. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I don't think it's going to be the end of July, What, like he no, said. No, I, I don't either. But the, uh, I th- but I think what, what definitely came across was, yes, we know behind the scenes they're going to do everything they can, but... Um, I asked the question of how many rounds it would take to be classed as a world championship. And he said, look, when the championship started, there were five rounds mm. back in 1940, whatever it 49, was. 49, yeah. So, yeah, 49. So, look, ideally, we don't want five, five round championship. He didn't say it in so many words, but he, he sort of did. And do you know what? If actually, necessary, do you know they'll what? do five rounds. Do you know so, what? Back in those days good. as well, Neil, they'd have five or six rounds in the early championships and you could lose a result. So they'd have, you'd have six rounds in the early championships and four would count. All right, yeah, throw away your worst. You'd throw away your, your worst couple. Um, I'm, all not, right. I'm not saying they would do that at all. They definitely wouldn't, in fact, where it was decided that everyone should compete in every you know, event. I think it's because there were certain events that some people couldn't get to, so on and so forth. So you, you just took your best four, cause, you know? Yeah. 
Um, but but it, was, uh, it, it was really, it was positive. And basically he was saying that if we have to do races on consecutive weekends at the same track, they will do that. They'll mm. do whatever it But they takes, wouldn't do double basically. headers at the same track on the same weekend, would they? Which is what I understood from that. I, see, I didn't. I, I, he wasn't asked directly. We didn't no, get chances no. to run out of time. So, so we, I don't know. I, I still think they would. Anyway, as far as I'm concerned, I thought it was positive. It's, positive. It's, it's hard to. It's hard. We all know what's going on in the world, um, and and everything that that's going on with this is not you know, a positive, right? But it's from from our point of view, who we're we're talking purely about the sport side of things and uh, something that you know isn't a priority. Uh, at this moment but there are a lot of people he was talking about 1300 people essential workers being in a paddock you know they're people generally whose livelihoods do rely on the sport so for, for a certain amount of people it is key and for a lot of people it's entertainment as well so you know that's why it, it, it is crucial that, that this thing that we it's our job isn't it to ask these questions anyway but i have to say yeah um while you take the government to task and all these in, in wherever you are in the world, you try and ask the questions to Dorna. And, and to be to be fair to them, they've answered quite a lot of those tricky questions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were no... Um, put it this way, it, it didn't skirt around any of the questions. No, it didn't try I mean. and deflect yeah. any answers, did it? Yeah, exactly. It was straight to the point. And actually, we, we, we came off the call to him and we were all... Well, I was much more positive... You know, I, I like, like I and said, that's, I've been that's saying, his job as well, sure. as well, isn't it? The, the, the head of a sport, yeah. But, but his English, but his English is not, his English is not great, is it? No, and, and he no. still came across very well, didn't he? So, mm. anyway, I think, I think if you haven't seen that, if you ha if you don't watch BT Sport, or you haven't got it, or you've paused it, and you know you haven't, while we're on uh, lockdown, what you can still go and see that on the the Twitter. I think it's on. On the Twitter handle BT Sport MotoGP, and I think it's on their um, website as well. Um, and I think MotoGP.com have put it up there anyway. Uh, right, let's talk about our guest today, Neil, and someone we're both very, very familiar with, uh, someone we both know very well indeed, uh, and that is the two time World Superbike champion, James Toesland, all round super talented machine of an individual. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, someone we've worked with closely at BT too. Yeah. Obviously, worked with him at BT for five years. Yeah, five years. Well, six was it? In fact, was it five or six? Oh God! I mean, five or six. Anyway, um, also <laughs> we were teammates. We, we, we were teammates for two years. And when you're teammates with someone, especially our relationship, we got on really well as teammates. James was the young kid in the team, uh, not a lot of experience. I was the older guy, really. So Still they were. Are. They, I mean, it, what I mean is, it wasn't like he was out, he was a threat. You know what I mean? He was right, like okay, a young yeah. kid going to look what the it, old What's guy, the difference so. in you? Is it is it nine years something? Eight years difference? Uh, yeah, no, Sorry. probably. I'm forty six, and I think he's so it's about eight years. Yeah, I think he's about thirty eight, isn't he? Yeah, something like that. Thirty eight, yeah. thirty nine. What I like though, what you said about him, what sums James up, and we've we've said this before, we've said it in commentary and stuff, but I want to explain what it means. JT is a machine. I don't know anyone like him. Like, <clears throat> if I was to choose someone to fight for me or compete for me or do anything for me, if you wanted someone to put 100% into it, that would be amazing. James is the man. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he's he's been retired now for quite a lot of years. He had to retire early because of uh, 
breaking his wrist really badly. He's got a fused wrist now. We'll have to ask him about that. Yeah, because that's, that's been still going on, hasn't it, now? Yeah, he's been having operations recently on it. But but he still trains, he still works out. He looks amazing, as in he looks like an athlete. I mean, yeah, he's only 38 years old, but um, anything he puts his mind to is like, like I'll say this, I'll pull this, I'll say this before we talk to him. When we were teammates, I looked at him and thought, he's all right. He's, you know, he's not great. But what JT had was this ability to continue to improve and this will to win that, honestly, Gav, you know I've had a lot of teammates, I've been around a lot of successful people. I've not seen a will to win like JT's because, like I'm saying, he had a lot of natural talent, but he wasn't great. But he became great, you know, two times world champion, went into MotoGP on fire, you know, like... Mm. Qualified on that front front row of the grid, almost yeah. got pole position in his first ever MotoGP race. I mean, he, he was right there with the fastest riders in the world, and that came down to his that dogged determination. Really, he is a unique individ, uh, individual. He's a grafter. He really is someone who's grafted yeah. and gets every ounce of talent out of himself, and uh, whether that be on the bike or off the bike, which we've seen, uh, I've seen it firsthand in the work that we've done together on TV, but. Also, in terms of his music, you know the amount of effort yeah. he has put into to getting keeping his career going or getting it going, those kinds of things is is unbelievable. I spoke to him yesterday, just briefly, just asking him if he'd do the podcast, and it made me smile. He went, oh, "Yeah, I've been um, I've been learning to play the guitar during Brilliant. lockdown, you Brilliant. know." And he's like, "What have you been up to?" And I'm like, "Well, it's been getting leather, <laughs> drinking." Yeah, you, but but you know what I mean. Like, if anything, like, it me and JT, it's, it's just like the so opposites. He's been like self improving by by doing something, learning a skill, and I've been uh, getting on it basically. You know, <sighs> love him. Ever the disappointment. Right, let's speak to JT. <laughs> Hello. Now then, is that Mr. Toesland? It is. It is. Are we all? Are we all? Can, can everybody hear everybody? I can hear you. What about Neil? Oh, <laughs> I don't believe it. How's that? How have I managed to do that? Oh, do you know what? I think I've you, called you. Know, you. you know he's getting. You know he's getting on a bit, Gav. We need to speak up. <laughs> right. Do you know what? Actually, do you know what I've done? I think I've called yeah. you on a separate one. I think I've called you on a separate line, uh, and now I'm having trying oh, to Tom. add Neil into it. Hello. There we are. Are we all together? Hey, there he is. Having <laughs> such a bad day. Hey, hang on a minute. Hey, well, hang on a minute. We don't. We don't. You've got me confused now. Am I the guest? No, no, no you're the guest way. now. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I hate to say well, well, it. Hang on a minute. I can talk about myself even more. This is a bit like Ducati in 2003 to 2004, where, uh, yeah, you say you're going to merge GP. We're actually just replacing you with the younger model on Gas It Out, and it's just from, from, from now on. Ooh, ouch. Ouch. Hey. Is it that level, is it? <laughs> hey, JT, we went there a bit early, didn't we? There's no need for that. Hey, it, it, it cost me a fortune to pay Neil out of his job. Bloody hell. <laughs> we soon got to the nitty-gritty questions. Yeah, I'm. Uh, well, I'm all good, and uh, just trying to work out. I mean, I am absolutely useless at, at this technical side, but not as useless as Neil, which which is you know uh, one thing because we haven't been able to share audio over the last 
uh, few ones. So how are you anyway? Yeah, yeah I'm good actually. Just uh, I, I was just I was just kind of settling into this old um, isolation thing, and it, uh, I, I was thinking like everybody's used to like that two or three week holiday, aren't they? And you can kind of settle in, but I knew this next two or three weeks was going to be really odd, and it is. I know we've got to keep the banter up and all the rest of it, but you know when you start losing nearly a thousand people a day through this awful virus, it's um, it's it's an incredible scenario that we find ourselves in. And um, you know if anybody's been affected by it, obviously we, we, I send my best wishes to it. I'm fortunate really here up in Sheffield that um, my family and friends have, have, have been able to stay away from it. A couple of acquaintances have had it actually, and um, and, and passed away unfortunately from it. So I'm, I'm not I'm not that distant from from what it's uh, capable of, but it's just um, uh, it's just incredible, unprecedented times, isn't it? And uh, and obviously, on the racing front, everything's had to stop. So um, we're all trying to find ways of of keeping in touch like this, and uh, and having a chat, and keeping people's kind of spirits up. And um, I just hope that, uh, and, and I know that this blog that you're doing, guys, has been massively popular around the motorcycle fraternity. So uh, it's nice to be on 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 to it, and, and hopefully we can give a bit of joy to people. Oh, well, that's uh, nice to hear, JT. And you know what? We, the thing was, we wanted to actually get all of our uh, people we know well uh, early on, but then we thought that's not fair because, you know, it's just we might as well have these calls uh, elsewhere. So we thought we'd stagger out. So we spoke to Susie uh, a couple of weeks ago and we thought we'd speak to you uh, as soon as possible as well. So you're up at, you're up at your, your mum's house here. Yeah, I got stuck up here a bit, really, because... Uh... I was doing some work here with my brother because me and my brother's got a bit of a business together um, with property development and everything. So, yeah. And and then I was thinking, you know, to be uh, uh, to be away from family, I might as well kind of like stick myself with the mm. family and friends kind of close rather than being being away from it. So it was a bit of a um, uh, a decision I made, and, and it was the right one actually. It's nice to it's nice to be close to people as much as you possibly can in these times because. Uh, Obviously, you know, some people don't have anybody in stuck in an apartment with maybe a couple of kids and all the rest of it. So it's, I feel quite fortunate with the scenario that I'm in up here in Sheffield. Hey, he's not stupid, is he, Gav? No. Home cooked food. <laughs> you know, get, yeah. Yeah, I, I, know, I know what JT's like. He's not daft. I said he's not stupid, you know. <laughs> Home cooked food. Good lad. <laughs> I, I saw this coming, Neil. I thought, hang on a minute. I need to be in the best place possible. <laughs> Where am I going to get the best food and it's going to be free? Uh, I'm going to my mum's. Question for you, Sorry, go on, yeah, go on. I'm, in, I'm intrigued. I knew, you, I knew you got this business with your brother. You've had it for a while, haven't you? With property development. Are you yeah. hands-on? I need to know. I, I, I want to see JT on the tools. <laughs> I have been um, for the last couple of years. It's been really, really nice. Cause me and my brother are really, really close, like like you are with yours, Neil. And I uh, was, um, I think it was about nine years ago now. Basically, what happened when when Neil Hodgson went to MotoGP, I was able to do quite well then. You know, once he was out of the way, because uh, he yeah. was spoiling. Competition was spoiling, had gone. You know, Wait a second, yeah. that's the yeah, story he the tells, JT. <laughs> Yeah, I know. So I'm just I'm just backing him up on it. And then I was able to earn a few quid, a bit of extra, you see, with him, out of the way. Um, and every time I earned a few quid, um, my brother was the, the he, he got the skills, you see. I just got the bronze. So um, uh, I, I gave it him, we, and we bought some property together. And because he's a he's a um, a labor, he's a joiner by trade, and he learned that um, at college. But he's like a jack of all trades now. He kind of renovates everything, and, and that's his kind of business. And but when I when I first started out in motorcycle racing. Um, he he worked for council, and you know he was kind of 
coming, like getting a phone call on call at three o'clock in the morning, having to board windows up because people put windows through, coming in a bit drunk or whatever the rest of it, and, and like changing doors and locks, and it, it was pretty pretty gruesome job. And and there was even worse stuff than that, but I don't want to get into that. But so you know, when when my job was getting going really well, uh, I said, well, why don't you leave the council and I'll, I'll I'll buy a property, we'll do it up together. And we'll sell it, and, and and you have that as your job. And basically, I just wanted to get him out of the council, to be honest. And it developed from there, and then we kind of built a bit of a portfolio for property. Like I say, once Neil moved on, I was able to earn some proper money. Um, and then uh, um, we started. <laughs> we actually got an estate agent in Chesterfield called oh, wow. Tozen Properties. Um, and basically, what happened was we had an idea where we you know, then we uh, looked after uh, rentals. And uh, we um, and then we went into sales and stuff like that. But uh, but that's where it started. It was it was me wanting to get my brother out of working for the council when things were going a bit better. And then we worked together closely. And, and then we had an idea of looking after the properties for the people with with the with the estate agents itself. So um, but that's all it is now. How come I didn't know this about you? I didn't know it was JT, estate agent owner. This is <laughs> this is this is a revelation, eh, JT? <laughs> it's not. That's why it's my brother. <laughs> the thing is, I want I'm just to know. picturing you though. I'm just pitching you there. I want to know. I want no. to see you on Homes Under the Hammer. I can imagine. I can just imagine oh. you do, taking over from Dion Dublin next. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> honestly, though, like that. I mean. When it comes to fulfilling jobs, renovating uh, your property, you can never lose. If something is a lick of paint or you want to you want to do it open, it always is really really fulfilling. Like you know, if you really put the graft in. I'm, I've just I've just renovated a, a, our place in in London for three years. It took us three years. And it's and we, incredible. We, we stripped the whole thing out. <laughs> we stripped the whole thing out new electrics new plumbing new, new everything everything it was just like the outer shell that was left and, and we did the whole thing so and it is beautiful and it's amazing how rubbish something can look when you have to get right down to the bare bones of it and if you really put some time in how uh, well, incredible you can make a space for your home and, and i love that my brother's got a passion for it but the nice thing is my brother's got the skills to do it <laughs> so um, and uh, obviously, you know, you get a bit of mates rates as well, don't you? <laughs> I should hope so. I should hope so too. I've seen, I've seen, I remember seeing every time you'd come to a different race and you were like, oh, we've done this this week and it looks absolutely superb. And what, <laughs> what we were saying before you came on, uh, James, was that there's one thing about you is you're, you're, you're not shy of a bit of hard work, are you? You're not shy to get stuck in and get dirty and also to work all hours God sends to, to, uh, to make the most of everything. And do you feel that's that was relevant racing? Yeah, I, I love it. I, I think I've got um, I've got something going on. I've always been a bit different. You know, I, I watched the Tyson Fury um, documentary, mm. behind the scenes thing. And you know that kind of like bipolar thing or something? And, and it, these all these kind of like um, um, personality traits, are, that we're getting some kind of science behind them now, aren't we? And I've always had a bit of something going on. And... And I've always got to get have something like um, to to get me understated with and get stuck into and keep me some. I I definitely need something to wake up to in the morning. Mm. And um, and you know, can you imagine like motorcycle racing where uh, motorcycle racing? What it was as a sportsman was absolutely perfect because, and in fact, Neil was a big influence um, on on increasing that level of of that focus was. Is noticing Neil's fitness levels when I first w w became his teammate. We went out for jogging in South Africa, and he absolutely made me look like I was 
I was smoking four two fives a day and having beers every night and, and, and being shot off and, and I was pretty fit then I was I thought I wasn't um, and then I realised as a sportsman it's perfect for that because it's 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 twenty four seven you've got to watch what you eat you've got to watch what you sleep you've got to watch what how you train and then and then to fly around at two hundred miles an hour every weekend as as that the buzz of it all like the cherry on the cake. It, uh, for my personality, it was absolutely spot on. And, and like when when I had to retire with, with the injury, the biggest problem I had in my life was was waking up without something to really get my teeth into. And mm. it wasn't really missing riding so much. It wasn't the right. What wasn't the riding? Because uh, I've not ridden a motorcycle since. So it's not riding a motorcycle. It's that um, that focus and. and the, the competition, really. Yeah, the yeah. competition and and that yeah that purpose that self worth. That's it. Yeah, you know, exactly. That, yeah, well, life, that's exactly what it is, Neil. Yeah, Neil. And what what about you when you first remember JT coming through as a youngster and then obviously becoming your teammate? Yeah. Well, do you know what? It's funny because James just absolutely burst onto the scene from nowhere, from this, you know, you'd never heard of this kid, to him, I remember James winning the CB500 championship, and then all of a sudden he was doing British super sport, and he was beating people like Jim Moody, and lads that were animals, quick, and James was like, I think you're about 16 at the time, maybe 16, 17, and then all of a sudden he got signed up, and before I knew it, he was in the same paddock as me, in the factory Honda world super sport team, and it was bizarre, because I was looking at this young boy, and James, obviously, you, you, you were 17, 18 years old. He seemed so young, but like with all this bizarre natural talent, but, but also this, again, like I, I talked about it before we, we got you on the line, James, this sort of single-minded, professional, like he was so professional, Gav, but can you imagine him? Like, you know James now. He was just a machine then, yeah. you know, even at 16, 17, he was, he knew what he wanted, you know, and he was going to get it, whatever it took. James, when, when you, um, we talked to Neil and we, uh, we've spoken to lots of people, as you'll have seen over, uh, so far in this podcast and whether it was Johnny Ray, whose father was a road racer and John McGuinness who did motocross and Neil himself motocross back in the day, your path into bikes was a bit different, wasn't it? It was a bit of a... I don't know, how, how was it that you became a motorcycle racer? Because it's not a motorcycle family that you came from, was it? No, not, not at all. It's a, it's a difficult story to tell. Uh, you know it, Gavin and Neil knows yeah. it. It's, um, um, you know, I, 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 my mum my and dad, they, they, they broke up when I was three. Um, they divorced when I was three, four years old, and we, we had to move in with my grandparents. My mum my had two boys, I've got an older brother, so we moved in with my grandparents, and that's why I play the piano because my grand plays the piano, and that's when I learnt in those early days mm. from kind of being four, five, six, two to eight. And, and my mum met a new boyfriend when I was eight, and this new boyfriend he had a RGB two fifty two stroke Suzuki, was beautiful, and he could play a bit of rock and roll piano. So, cut a, a bit of a long story short, he instantly was of interest for me because mm. he played rock and roll piano, which I'd not heard before, because I was, I was classically trained, so I was doing all these classical pieces, which I didn't particularly enjoy doing. I, and all of a sudden, I was got introduced to rock and roll playing, and that's why the rock influence kind of crept in. And, and, and they got together, and 
I, I was fascinated with the bike. He used to take me out on this RGV and I used to kind of imitate getting my knee down on the back of the pillion and, and just that. And he had a f- few friends that went out on weekends and I absolutely loved it. It was the the, the, the breeze and the exposure and, and the speed. And, and, and um, I, I, I really discovered that um, what I had kind of bubbling up inside of me was piano playing and music didn't kind of scratch that itch. And, mm. and this really did. And I, I asked him for a bike and, he bought me a T second hand TY80 trials bike, Yamaha, which I think most kids have back in the uh, like the, uh, the the late 80s, 90s, and uh, uh, and as soon as I jumped on it, I don't know, it um, it just it, when something's so fun, you can't put it down. I mean, if you're and that's what the that's what I was really fortunate about in life. I mean, I was I was introduced as two things that I absolutely adored and I, and, I, and I couldn't put down, and um, and that's where. That's where it started from, and he, he took me to trials riding for four years, and I got to kind of like you know I was junior um, East Midland champion and stuff like that. So I knew I was pretty good at it, which then added to the enjoyment because if you're competitive, yeah, if you're not very good at it, you don't do it, no, uh, and 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 you quit um, because uh, you've got to be so so competitive that you have to be good at it as well as. Um, and then I, I went to motocross because I fancied a bit of speed, but um, I was pretty short as a te- young teenager. Um, I couldn't put my foot down, and and and, I, and, and my ambitions really outweighed my talent, and I I, I, I was <laughs> spanning myself quite quite often, and, and and it took the enjoyment a little bit out of it, and so um, we were watching road racing, and we realised you didn't need the height for road racing, so we said, oh, we'll try that then, and honestly, I went to Three Sisters in Wigan and I ran a go kart track, and and this Kajiba one, uh, Kajiba eighty, and we went round and uh, oh, and literally. I, I just found my thing. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't get my knee down for quite some time, but you know, that's the ultimate thing, but just, just riding around, uh, and it wasn't dirty. You didn't have to clean your bike as well as, you know, jet wash it off when you got back <laughs> and all the rest of the, oh, well, with motocross and my mum didn't have to marshal. So she was happy because in motocross back in those days, your parents came and they had to bloody marshal and everything. So she absolutely hated that. So she was happier. So the whole little team was a bit, bit happy, but, um, but behind the scenes, unfortunately, uh, there was a very, very um, difficult and violent relationship between him, this uh, Ken, and my mum, and it was, uh, it was really, really bad. I mean, um, over the eight-year relationship, my, my mum was 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 hospitalised, and it was. It, I, I'm not going into the details again, but it was really difficult. And I was living in a house that was that was uh, um, with that environment. As if you've been a kid, where where, where parents are really, really abusive to each other. Um, and, it, and it's a confusing, confusing mm. environment to, 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 to live with, especially like those like teenage years. Um, and unfortunately, um, he, he took his life um, when I was uh, 16 years old. And I'd only just started road racing when I was 15. So I've only been doing it for a year. But luckily, my first year, I won the junior road racing championship in my very first year. And you've got Steve Brogan. Uh, you've got James Ellison. In that year, in 1995, yeah. so it was a good little year for for, for, for talent coming through. And um, uh, I, I I do know, you know that what you're talking about there with this determination and, and the first it, um, him doing that was really confusing for me, and it was really hurtful. And I lost my grandfather within six months, and he was my father figure as well. And uh, um, it, it it literally just lit a bonfire inside of me. And, and all of a sudden, motorcycle racing wasn't just fun riding around tracks. It was my therapy. Mm. And, and I, really, I really needed it to keep me balanced. And, and I, 
all throughout my career, I used it as my ammunition, and that was my absolute driving goal um, all through uh, all of my career with it. And uh, again, when I had to retire um, nine years ago, um, again I, I had to sort that out because I had to I had to find the box to put that in because there was no need for it anymore. But it still I'd still kept it so lit all the way through, and it was still very prominent in my thoughts and mind um, and without having to jump on it without being able to jump on a motorcycle um, it's been it's been very very difficult these 10 years but I'm talking in such an open way now about it all and it, and it was it has been difficult these last 10 years but I'm talking about it now because uh, I'm in a place where I, I'm making sense of it and, and I'm able to, to, to put things in it that's, wait, wait. that's that's basically why that's that's why who I was. Which is great that you can talk about it, and it is. I'm sure people will find that refreshing as well, and I'm sure it, it helps other people definitely who are in similar sort of situations. Uh, and obviously, you use that determination. You talk about lighting a lighting a bonfire. Well, you know, we know what you went and did. We know you went and won world superbikes. And do you feel when when you went and won those championships? I don't want to. I don't want to be live and gloss over everything but let's focus on you know the the championships we know the hard work that got there but do you feel that yeah. both those times that you won it was sort of against the odds you weren't necessarily the one people had been expecting to win whether in your team or in the championship whether it be with Laconi or you know riding against the likes of Bayliss or whoever that that you weren't necessarily or or, or Hargo whoever you weren't necessarily the, the favoured one does that make sense? I wasn't because I was I was very much learning on my feet. I was 20 years old when I got the opportunity to be Neil's teammate for my first year in World Superbikes. And I think you have to remember um, that a 20-year-old on a superbike back then was pretty unusual. Mm. You know, you've seen you've seen these kids like Quartararo these days, 20 years old, just turned 21 in MotoGP. But the you know you're starting at 14 now in in Moto3, in Moto2. It's it's it's, it's moved backwards five years more or less and the experience that you've got with that extra time allows you to do that but it was quite it was unusual and and I wasn't really that prepared in fact I know I wasn't prepared and all of a sudden I've got to get my fishing rod out and uh, Neil was a certain pace um, uh, right at the front and then Colleen Edwards and Troy Bayliss were absolutely blistering because me and Neil were on Dunlops at the time, and it was a bit more difficult because the Michelins had a bit of an advantage. And sometimes the pace of those Michelins um, in, in that ass and stuff like that, it, um, as a 20-year-old, I remember going, right, okay, I, I, I can sort of figure out how to get as fast as Neil because he was on the same bike and he was on the same tyres, and he was always about, I don't know, probably probably three, four, five tenths quicker. And, and as a 20-year-old, I, I, I could kind of figure that one out. Mm. But, you know, when you got Bayliss and Edwards going 1.2, 1.5 seconds quicker sometimes, um, I didn't realise back then as a youngster uh, that the advantage of different tyres and different bikes made such a difference. I just thought that um, it must be me. I'm not I'm not quick enough. So, um, And then also in 2003, when I won the championship against Regis Laconi, I mean, Regis Laconi was a, a Grand Prix uh, winner in Valencia, he was a, he was a fantastic, and he was much faster than me at most most events in 2004. But I was consistent, and with the consistency, it kept me in touch with the championship. And by the time the last two rounds came, I, I unfortunately for Regis, I kind of figured it out just yeah. at those last three rounds, and it literally was as simple as that. I was only 23 years old, and it took me three years to learn how to get as fast the quickest superbike riders in the world which is it's good going 
But to be honest, I mean, GSC Racing and, and Agent Flat with Neil, they were so patient with me because in the first year I finished 13th. In the second year I finished 7th. To be honest, you're lucky to keep your job. Yeah. Nowadays Finishing you in those positions. Yeah. Big time. So it was 13th, 7th, and then in the third year of, of that, I finished 3rd. And then obviously with uh, Rubens House and Neil going, who were 1st and 2nd in 2003, I got promoted. But um, I was very, very fortunate with the age, and I was just quick enough when I was learning to keep my job, to keep um, to keep my skill levels uh, in a place where they, they could adapt and, and and get good enough to, to, to beat those guys. But um, I, I can tell you, a 20-year-old watching Bayless and Edwards and, and Neil and all that flying around and early a second quick, there were some days where I'm thinking, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get this good, but luckily my determination pushed me through it. And the support from all my team um, the engineers and all the teams. It was it was a collective effort of 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 helping me for sure. Do you know what was really interesting? By the way, real powerful words there, James. Especially speaking about you know what happened through your childhood. Bloody hell, really powerful. Thanks for being so open and honest because I know a lot of people wouldn't be. Um, just to pick up on on you when you were 20 years old, one of the standout things, Gav, with James was, we'd finish the session, I'd be third or fourth, James would be, at the time, in his first year, learning it all, he'd be 15th, I'd go, you're all right? I'd walk over to his side of the garage, you're all right? And he'd go, yeah, yeah, sound, mate, sound, sound. I'd go, all right, what, what's up? Like, you know, obviously you're having a bad day, what's wrong? Like, talk to me. No, 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 sound, it's all right, I'm, I'm fine. He had this, he never, like, where I was the opposite, right? If I was having a bad day, I'd be going, it's effing shit, uh, this, that, <laughs> and the other. And, and, but I was bad on myself because then I'd beat myself up. I'd then go to my motorhome. I'd have self-doubt, too much self-doubt. I'd talk myself out of it. Where James would, he, he just never, and I don't know what was going on inwardly. It, it might, you can answer this, James. You might have been going, mm -hmm. I can't do this. But you always appeared to me like, you just had this weird, excuse that word from using that word, inner belief that, no, I'll figure it out. I'll definitely figure it out and I'll get there. And I never saw yeah. you break, even through the really tough times in that first year. I think the, I'm, I'm thinking again on my feet a little bit, but when I lost Ken, there was no other tutor. There was only Ken that came into my life that introduced me to motorcycling and nobody else in my family or my friends knew anything about motorcycling. You know, obviously with your relationship with your dad, Neil, and like Leon yeah. Haslam with his dad and things like that, they've always got some kind of confidence through through their, uh, through their the racing where they could, a bit of a soundbite that they can, they can uh, bounce off. But I, I, had, I literally had nobody. I mean, when Ken passed away or, or, or committed suicide, basically Honda came to my mum's house and said, I know that nobody can take him, so we're going to sign him and, and go to World Supersport in Castrol Honda, and we're going to give him somebody in the team to, to, to look after him, basically, and, uh, um, and do the things that, that uh, a father figure would at 16, 17 years old. Um, but you know, going into a big team like Castrol Honda when I did move, and you know, I, I, I will be forever grateful for Honda um, for, for for seeing the potential, knowing what happened, because they found out um, through various means, 
and they realised that I, I had nobody to take me at all and racing would have definitely finished. Even with the potential there, it would have finished because I had nobody to take me. Um, I, I quickly then, for the, for the next kind of 10 years, uh, I had to figure things out myself. And uh, I was, and that's why I got so intense as a personality, I think, because I realised I had to watch everything. And yeah. that's, that's why I'll always be uh, uh, fantastic friends with you, Neil, because you were gracious enough um, to, uh, to to just come over and, and ask things like that. And even though I didn't really have a conversation about or have anything to say about it, because I had to figure it out myself, because that was just the zone. And, the, and now I, I really, that's, I, I, you know what it's like. When you do something well, you try and remember it to stay and do that thing again. And when you become uh, uh, even more of, of a, um, a successful sportsman, that just gets more and more acute every time you do something a bit better. You remember it and you've got to do the same thing. I don't know if uh, you, you found that, uh, Neil, but it's... Yeah. Um, and, and by the time I was your teammate, I'd figured out that I needed to figure out everything myself and just yeah. watch everything. And yeah. um, uh, that's why those three years were so pivotal for me because I had three years of consistency of watching uh, every aspect you know, you as a, a much faster teammate, but then listening to your feedback to the to the engineer, and then what that gave God, I got the engineer got out. Shit! But that that all came that all came, and you, you knew this. But that all came then over to my side because I was the second rider, and then all that then was like, well, Neil's got this. We're going to try this one, so we'll try that with you and see if it helps. And it all did. It all did help. And yeah. It's uh, you've got to figure out what works for you, and and, and that zone that I went into, it actually, it, it did have its negatives at time, of course. You know, um, I don't think anybody's approach to themselves about trying to be the best in the world is flawless, and I was just trying to make the best of what I had, of what I kind of learned from my younger age, and um, it uh, it was difficult. I tell you what, the, the two championships were difficult because the one. Uh, I, I know I, I know you struggled when you when you actually became world champion. I mean, um, I'm not I'm not ask you a question in a second, but when I when I crossed the line uh, as a world champion in 2003 in Magna Corps, I had a really 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 tough couple of weeks because when I crossed the line and, and I looked down, I realised that the people were there that started it that actually were right behind, determined for me to achieve that goal, weren't there. And then all of a sudden it was like, ah, oh, what's this for? And then all of that started creeping in. What, what's, you know, and then I realized just how much uh, anxiety and, and frustration and anger uh, for what, what, what decision that Ken made about Ben and, and, and all of that that fueled me to the person I am to, 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 to achieve stuff. I then achieved the ultimate goal from what we started that he wasn't there to see. And then it was difficult for me then because I was like, what, 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 what's the point? Because I, I, can, I can admit, living with all that, it's not, it's not the most productive and not the most positive mm-hmm. um, psychological uh, approach to, to life. And, but while I had racing still, it balanced it. And that's why I played the piano because that calmed me down because that's I've got good memories. So, um, but you know, winning everything as well brings it a whole new different emotions on as well. I, I talked to you, Neil, didn't I, when you crossed the line, you, you yeah. found it to, 
I'm going through a difficult emotion. But uh, um, just on a personal note, that that was that was something that I also had to to get my head around. Because then obviously you've got to figure out why you do do it, and you, you need to do it again. And I, and I tell you what, I, I won in 2004. I finished fourth in 2005. I had a big crash testing electronics and that, but still, I finished fourth because I was still trying to figure out why I was actually wanting to win motorcycle races and how much of the bonfire I wanted to keep going for my own mental health. So yeah. it was a diffi- difficult balance to... to, to Bloody, and, and I'll tell sure you what, intense, mate. Bloody intense. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, you know, a, a lot for still a relatively young lad, and then you're coping with fame and fortune. You, you know, you know what I mean. All joking apart, but you've that all going on. You know, a lot of people in your position would have potentially gone really off the rails as a young kid. You know, and thankfully, yeah. you found biking. You know, and and got in, went in the right direction. Bloody hell, it's, in te- it's in te- intense stuff, mate. It really is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, motorcycle racing was perfect for it, and then, um, and you know, everybody's got a story, haven't they? Everybody's got um, everybody's got their thing going on, and uh, yeah, but they're all boring. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's got their losses. <laughs> everybody's got their losses, haven't they? And everybody's got things to deal with and, and battle with. Yeah. Um, motorcycle racing was a, a, an unbelievable therapy for it, but um, it, it um, what 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 actually happened was I used it. And that's why I was the person I was. That's what. That's basically why you're talking about the character. That's 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 why I was. That's why. why I was. Yeah, but well, bet... do you know what? I, I, sorry, Gav. I, I knew obviously. I knew the stories that you've just said, but I didn't understand. I, I've never. It's like I've seen all the pieces of the jigsaw, but I've never put them together. Mm. You've explained it now. I can. I get it. I get it now. It's. You know what I mean? I've always thought you are yeah. the a machine. Is this driven? But I didn't really. I don't know. They didn't all. It didn't all fit together. Now it does. So, thanks for explaining that to me. <laughs> I bet there was. A... I'm not as weird as you thought. Then now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you still are. You're still are. <laughs> but I've got an excuse for it. <laughs> oh, bloody good excuse. Hey, listen, James. On on a lighter note, how lucky were we? So we rode for this team. The team was the GSE team, Groundwork Southeast. It was owned by a gentleman called Daryl Healy a great guy ran this fantastic team and he employed a team manager, the best team manager I worked with, a gentleman called Colin Wright. And Colin Wright helped me become the person I became in racing. He, he really helped me with my riding, with my confidence. And he played a huge part in me becoming a world champion. And I know he played a huge part in yours, James. What about some of the bloody stories, though? Because Colin was eccentric, wasn't he, James? <laughs> I can't, you, you know, you know, I can't, I can't talk about most of the stories. But uh, the, uh, I think I, I never had so much fun racing motorcycles around this amazing planet than I had with the two years with you. I mean, it. Um, uh, you don't usually get. I, I think because of the distance, we were like as, a, as, as being competitive. You were always top boy, and, and, and you were away. And I was learning. I was I was getting a bit quicker, but I was never really a threat for for, for your for your position or your job. And and I and I was young enough to that be absolutely fine. And I just soaked it all up. But uh, and that's why because we were friends because of that because. I realised when I was with Regis Latoni in 2004, we were battling for the championship right to the end, and it was both of us. It was our world and like our, our ultimate goal. 
it was a bit the, the friendship was a bit more fractious, I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because of the vibe of us two, it just spread through the whole thing. So my engineers and all the rest of it, they, they were I can't even remember who mine were and yours were, if you're not on me, Neil. But yeah, because the whole the, the team worked as a team, team yeah, all, all oh, together. Big time. And, and Colin was very good at, uh, at guiding the ship that way and, and, and getting that vibe that everybody's an equal. Uh, he, he, he led with an iron fist, and, he, and I know it wound a few people up along the way, but the, the preparation and the consistency that he brought to a satellite team and the results that we got because of that, and by the time he, he, he got it how he wanted it, then he was able to relax the fun parts and oh god, we had some fun. What was the what was the story about yeah. your uh, your dress code, or, or what, what you know? You oh had... my god, <laughs> it was horrendous. So a picture the scene, right? So <laughs> I've been in World Superbikes for three years. It didn't go according to plan, so I ended up going back to BSB. I had about two years at BSB, won the championship, and then in two thousand and one, me and James Tolsland are going to be teammates, and we go into World Championships. We're going to do a full, at least one or two years of World Superbikes. We're well excited. Both me and James, we can't believe it. We're on good equipment. We've got good people around us. We've got the best team manager. Apart from Colin is also crazy, right, the team manager. <laughs> so C Colin says, right, he's a proper, like, Cockney accent. He's like, right, you fuckers, right, what are like, we going to do? Just You have to start first. Can't do the accent. Cause, cause you... yeah, I can't do the accent. I can't do the accent. Right, right. right you I didn't know from Leeds. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, next year, we ain't fucking about. We're going there to do the business. We're going to be professional. We're going to show the world. In fact, we are going to be like a professional football team. We're all going to have immaculate suits. We'll travel in them. We'll turn up at the tracks. Already, whilst he's saying this, I'm thinking, oh, shit, no, please, no. James is like, oh, like, didn't, didn't know what to say. So, Well, I'm just, I'm only, I'm only just out in the school uniform, so it's no different to me. Anyway. <laughs> literally, fast forward the first round, we turn up. Now, can you imagine? No team travels in suits. It's just not done. You look like absolute idiots. You need to travel in something comfortable, like a tracksuit, you know. Don't travel in suits. Can I, can I, just, so say, can I just say before you go on? You know, just before you go on, it, it, it sounded a pretty good idea on paper, but unfortunately, the the, the choice of attire was also down to Colin. <laughs> oh. This is the problem. <laughs> yeah, and Colin. Um, by the way, Colin's wife Les, Leslie's lovely, but apart from Leslie, Colin's got no taste at all, so he's got no style. <laughs> so we have these tweed jackets, Gav, and we're travelling to Philip Island. You know. Just the 24-hour flight. Thank you very much. And we're like, like this, this is what it's like with Colin. Colin, can we take our jackets off? <laughs> no, you fucking can't. <laughs> oh, okay. Great. I'm sweating. In my... But then, imagine how embarrassing this was. I'll never forget this one, James. We're in... Frankie, um... go give it. Oh, no. Not the... Hang on. The fr... <laughs> Frankie. <laughs> you know Frankie Carcetti? Frankie Carcetti is uh, Juan Nia's crew chief. Very intelligent guy, incredible crew chief. Well, he worked with GSE, with those guys. And he was only young at the time. And you know, I think we are in America. And we'd just dropped a hire car off. And he was really clumsy, was Frankie. He was always doing stupid things. Anyway, he got a can of Coke in his hand. And his mobile phone at the same time. His mobile phone rang. 
and it, bear in mind it's in front of everybody, the whole team. And he goes to answer it and he pours this can of coke all over his suit. It was just golden. But, but like right in front of Colin, and Colin writes like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Colin liked to swear, by the way. You know. Yeah, you're not just adding, adding that colour. Just picture the scene, though. I know I'm going on about it, but the uniform was traumatising that. Picture the scene, I'll never forget. We're, we're getting the bullet train in Japan to go to wherever, Sugo. And all the Honda team were there, like uh, Colin Edwards and everyone, Slight. And they're all in the trackies, you know, and we tell No, it's all, all, the cool, all the cool gas gear, yeah. You remember, the, it was all gas, it was sponsored by gas, remember, Neil? Yes, yeah, so they all look yeah, well yeah, cool. So all cool, well cool, well cool. And we looked like we were going to an accountancy job, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and everyone took the piss out of us, and Colin's going, fucking ignore them. You know, you're just like, well, it's pretty embarrassing, isn't it? So, yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. So, who, was it, who, was it, who was it that said who's died? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. I thought we'd gone to a funeral. Going to a funeral. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Uh, I, I, this, is no, this is no word of a lie, but my grandpa, right, after we were able to take them off, after the two, uh, right, I, I can't remember how long it lasted for, but it was a good, I think it was all year, but, I offered the tweed jacket to my grandpa, and he went, oh, you're all right, James, I'm, I'm fine for the jacket. <laughs> <laughs> that is how bad they were. That is truth. That is the absolute truth. Even my grandpa turned it down. I was like, oh, Jesus, I've been wearing this all year. <laughs> oh, my back. God. He knocked it back. I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, I, I remember, I'm trying to think of um, stories, times around, because we've all, you know, I obviously... Um, Met you properly in in MotoGP, and I remember you coming over to Laguna Seca with the band when you were racing there as well, and the band were over. Do you remember? <laughs> and they had the um, the yeah, motor I home. It, yeah. I remember we were going out for the Sunday night party. <laughs> the Red Bull party. The Red Bull party, yeah. And we were in the motorhome driving to this party. Yeah. Whoever was driving, I can't remember. Anyway, we were all. There's about twenty of us driving along to the party in the motorhome, <laughs> and and plates because no one had see, uh, closed all the cupboards. Plates flying everywhere. I mean, it was just it was a mess. Well, I don't know if you remember at that party, but Vern Troyer was there. Do you remember Mini Me from? Um, he, oh, he, he fell out of his little chair, oh, didn't he? Yeah, we were waiting. To, <laughs> I swear on my life, it's oh, it horrendous. The, it was one of the most horrendous but hilarious things. God rest oh. his soul. Uh, now, uh, but. Back then, we were waiting in the queue to get into this place. We're in the, like, the VIP, and they were going to let us in. And James was all his band, and, and I was there, <laughs> Matt Roberts, and, and uh, Vern, Vern Troyer's on his... He had a little scooter that he used to get around. It was with um, uh, Malcolm. Was it Malcolm McCassie, was it? Malcolm McCassie, yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. there. And uh, anyway, um, Vern was absolutely uh, leathered. I mean, it, it didn't generally take much. Anyway, he's on this little scooter, and he fell out of it. Of this oh like mobility God. scooter and landed plumb on his head, and we all we just ah. we stood in the queue and it was like oh my God I don't this is the most surreal ah. <laughs> night of my life going you, around. You, did, you didn't know whether to go and help, did you? You didn't know whether to go and help. Exactly. Or to, you, didn't, you didn't know if he was going to if he was going to get annoyed if you helped or um or it was it, it, it was like because everybody like you know like the Frankie Carcetti chucking Coca Cola all of him in front of the team. This was exactly the same like the whole paddock. Was, yeah. Uh, I just, wit I just witnessed this crash in front of them. Claret pissing out of his head. 
And it was just like, oh, oh. my God, this is the most bizarre. Am I drunk? I mean, we've only just come out here now. I've just been in a motorhome with 25 people with plates flying everywhere. Uh, and then suddenly Mini-Me's throwing himself out of a scooter onto his head. One of the most bizarre. Oh, they, they were the days, Gav. They, they were the days. Where them gone? Yeah, hey. well, they were. Hey, do you know what? I, I all, going to the Red, going, going to going to the Red Bull party you know, with a rock and roll band. Oh, I tell you what, they were they were, they were actually great days. Laguna Seca that is a fantastic circuit, but also the place around it is just a good fun place in it. All Monterey and all uh, in that that neck of the woods. I do enjoy it. Uh, I, do you know what? Hey, in that brilliant. time, uh, sorry Neil, just in in MotoGP at that time, that was when. You, you, I mean, you are 2008. I'm sure it was the, the first year of MotoGP. You were having such a great time. And I always felt, and this is from the outside, this is from looking in, I always felt you never got a fair crack of the whip in MotoGP. And you just talked about it there when you said in World Superbike, it took you three years to get up to, to level. And I always felt that one Tech 3 at that time wasn't the level of where the satellite Yamaha is now. Uh, but your first year was unbelievable. You had that horrible crash at the start of the second year that I think put you on the back foot. Do you feel you didn't get a fair crack of the whip? Oh, difficult to say, really, because um, the first year was 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 better, be, literally, and I mean literally, because I had uh, Michelin qualifying tyres. Yeah. Because me and Colin, unfortunately, it was the coming up to the end of an era with the 800cc um, era. And because it was coming up to the end of an era, they were developing the thousand CCs. So Hervé Poncheral, unfortunately, we, we literally had the slowest bikes on the grid. Um, through the speed traps, me and Collins uh, Yamaha were the slowest bikes on the grid. And the Michelin qualifying tyres were able, because we had enough power for one lap, because um, with the restriction with the fuel, you're able to increase the power to its maximum just for qualifying. And with that, and combined with the Michelin qualifier, you really didn't want to go around a track that much faster anyway with the power and grip kind of ratio. Um, and that that kind of, wherever you qualify in MotoGP, if you get a pretty good start, you, you know, everybody's talent is so similar, you can pretty much stay there. So why the second year was so much more difficult was we changed the bridge stands as well. So that was an absolute disaster really for someone in their second year mm. that needed to improve a little bit more well it was impossible more or less for me to improve a bit more because the qualifying tires were banned and me and Connie had the slowest bike on the grid with the, with the same grip well um, and, and, and without, without that combination we then qualified 10th instead of 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th um, and, I, and I finished 8th and, and I had a few 6th places but um but yeah, I mean, you know, I lost my job finishing six in MotoGP on the slowest bike on the grid. And yeah. unfortunately for me, just, just had that big accident. It was an American called Ben Spees winning his uh, World Superbike yeah. Championship in his inaugural year. And uh, an American compared to a UK rider with the business that that does with selling motorcycles, uh, et cetera, et cetera, as far as the business goes. Uh, and unfortunately, Colin rode so, so well in 2009. It was, uh, the position was mine, unfortunately. And, uh, but, uh, Slightly indoors, though, again, isn't so... it? We, we talk about it a lot on this podcast already with the, the people we've spoken to. His timing is everything. We talk about it with Scott Redding and his opportunities here and there. And, uh, you know, yeah. you, you get these moments 
where things and, and it, I don't know, Neil. To me, it just seems like the Brits have been unlucky actually in MotoGP over over even when you, you know you were there, two thousand and four that year. It wasn't the year to be on a satellite Ducati, and and it, it's, no, it's definitely. a story no, that keeps but, telling itself. It is, but yeah. but James said it earlier when he was saying something. Everyone's got their story. Yeah, they, they do. Right. If you sat down with Christopher yeah. Mullen, or yeah. if you sit down with yeah. Troy Bayliss. Which we w- yeah. we will do at some point. We'll speak to Troy um, and Chris. But um, everyone's got their yeah. This was a good year. That was a good year. Oh, this went really bad for me, mm. and I shouldn't have done this. And in hindsight, we'd all probably do things a little bit different. Um, yeah. Not yeah. not to contradict myself, I do think James didn't quite get a fair crack at it. But but, and I know James thinks this anyway. You look back at his career, James looks back at his career, I look back at James's career and go, oh, bloody hell, oh, yeah. hey, boy did good, you know what I mean? Glass is so half full, we're all doing high fives, aren't yeah. we? We're not going, oh my God, of well, yeah, you, no, you no. only, you know. As a professional sportsman, you're going to have um, exactly the same kind of curvature uh, as, as what we're seeing with this like pandemic, you know, you come in from from the bottom and then you're going to have a peak, and then, you know, with age and with everything else that comes along, you're going to have the, the down curve. And, and unfortunately, every career has that in different kind of uh, levels. And and I was very very fortunate that the peak got to be a, become a double world champion in world superbikes. If I'd have gone to MotoGP on one of the fastest bikes, with how confident and my skill level was in 2007 uh, when I was world champion to 2008. I, I could hand on heart say I could have had a few podiums and um, possibly even better, which would then have snowballed onto uh, everything else that that brings from that point. I, I went to MotoGP on the slowest bike on the grid and did the best I could. And I think I had about, I don't know, a dozen, six places. So finishing the top six in MotoGP on the slowest bike um, is not bad going, but, but that, that they were the cards I was dealt at that point in time. And the biggest thing I think for myself is, I can definitely look myself uh, in in the mirror, and I give it absolutely everything. And yeah. um, and I think the 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 biggest the, the biggest reward I had from everything in my cycle racing is I feel, <laughs> even though people think I'm a, a, a little bit uh, strange sometimes, is um, I, I I I walked away with respect. And well that that's yeah. it you, you were yeah. you you still are and you always will be a double world superbike champion and that said everything and uh you know that's that's beyond most people's yeah. wildest dreams and when i say most i mean 99.9 percent of people who uh who even watch it take part anything you know only one person could be a world champion every single year and to do it twice on different manufacturers as well yeah. which is a rarity uh is uh is seriously impressive I was, re- I was really pleased I won for Honda because obviously it's winning again, which kind of like, um, you know, it's um, everything, every, everyone's great. But I, I was behind the scenes. Now, you know, a little bit about the backstory. I was I am so, so, so pleased and so proud that I was able to win for Honda mm. because of when they picked me up when I was yeah, 16. Yeah, yeah they give they, yeah, they, they give you the yeah. chance, didn't they? Right. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they took the risk. Didn't I'm, they? I'm, Oh, they, they, they not only they took the risk, they actually they actually um they actually um became part of the family almost because without without Honda and Bob McMillan and Dave Hancock and, and everybody uh, that took me to Castrol Honda with obviously Mick Corrigan's amazing team back, um in ninety seven, um um I, I would have definitely had to stop riding motorcycles. And um so, you know, to be the the, the you know, the last Honda winner for World Superbikes 
are still. Uh, and you know, and then obviously with the pride of becoming twice world champion, and still I'm the youngest world champion. Um, even with all the demons that it took for me to actually maybe um, achieve all that, uh, I'm very, very, very thankful. And, and, and now having a chat like this with with Neil, uh, you know, we're talking 20 years ago now, and uh, time moves on fast. And uh, I'll always remember those two years really, really fondly, and the whole career really fondly because it, it it was just an incredible ride. Yeah, hey, we we had some fun. Let's um, before we cut it off, I want to quickly fast forward to our second career, which was TV. The first round with BT Sport was <laughs> Qatar, 2014. Oh, yeah, me and like Gav. Obviously, Gav's a TV pro. Me and JT have not got a clue. <laughs> and we were thrown in the deep end off the scale. Gav, explain what happened technically, because there was something wrong, wasn't there, technically? Uh, yeah, basically, um, they, it was something to do with all the signals went awry. So that meant nobody could talk to anyone at any point. You were, yeah, it was all... So that meant no one would be able to talk to a cameraman, no one could talk to the director, and so on and so forth. So... Um, our plan was to be set out in the paddock and talking but you wouldn't have been able to do that so we had to set up a a studio didn't you an impromptu studio got built from one night to the next (laughs) didn't it and it was like but James James, James, but but I was lucky because I was like right Neil you're going to be doing reporting you're in pit lane okay with Gav okay sound you know I don't really know Gav too well but you know that'd be easy enough Right, James, you're with Melanie Sykes and you're presenting this programme live for eight hours a day for two days solid <laughs> on this scaffolding with, like, it was chaos, wasn't it? I couldn't believe how hard it was. It was just... <laughs> well, I mean, bless him, that was a lovely girl, but uh, absolutely no experience about what motorcycling was in the history. And I remember I met up... Um, I met up about five or six times and I wrote out from even back like the 500 days of the history about motorcycle racing, MotoGP, to give her some kind of heads up to help. And it even caught me out because they took pictures of me and Mel in a cafe and like, insinuated that other things were going on. All I was telling her was well, when Mick Doohan won his five world championship. <laughs> <laughs> you got your hey, motorcycle story. Just got, got motorcycle <laughs> out. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can check out these two in the Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> because I was hey, honestly, lad, it was a real, it was a real chore taking Mel in the sights out. For you know what I mean? It was awful. <laughs> but, but anyway, so we, we yeah, we're on this bit of scaffolding. And I, I remember one, um, Sam Lowe's had just become world super sport champion that the year before and he was he was coming to or oh, that year no that year no the year before yeah. and he's coming to Moto two the year after something. Anyway, all of a sudden Sam Lowe's is coming up the steps of this scaffolding, me and Mel are there, and in in the year from the gallery that you, the, the production is telling you Okay, we've got Sam Lowe's coming on now. Uh, we're going to have about five minutes for Sam. N- nice little chat, James. And throw any questions in, throw any questions in, Mel. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. Uh, I know Sam's got a twin brother, uh, and I know uh, um, uh, he's from Lincoln. Um, but that's about it. I'm not sure how I'm going to string this up for five minutes. <laughs> but we did. But Mel, I mean, Mel, I have no idea about anybody. So um, I was asking these questions, and I, you know when, you, when there's two of you, you kind of shut up a little bit for someone else to kind of come in. But well, I couldn't do that. And then everybody was giving me jit for saying, oh, you're not letting Mel in, you do it all yourself. I'm thinking, oh, my God, you've got no idea. <laughs> my favourite. Hey, my favourite. All, all, all this, 
Go Sorry, on. go on, Gav. You, you finish that, Neil. I've got. I'm about to move on to another story. Go on. Oh yeah, I, I was going to say all this, and it's our the very first round that we're all live with no experience. Yeah. It was chaos. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it it was, was fun though. It was fun. It was, oh, it was amazing. <laughs> we had we, <laughs> we laughed. We had, we had, we spent a few uh, bob on ten pound pints by the end of the weekend. I remember that, and they were well deserved. Hey, I just remember when you mentioned that that the. the uh, the gallery, which is obviously our producer and directors in our ears. Uh, the one I'll never forget, James. Was, oh, Mizano. <laughs> Mizano with Paolo Natini. Right, turns up. Who's, a, who's, who's dad and him are big bike fans. But obviously, he's come on to our show at the end. And, um, oh, this, and James, is, this is making me cringe already. No, it, was, it was one of the funniest because it was just one of the best things ever. Because it was... And, and, you get a warning from the, the guys in your ear and they say, five minutes, five minutes to stop talking. That means five minutes to the end of the programme. But that James had taken that five minutes, five minutes to keep talking. And, and you and Paul on the team went to, he was brilliant on it. And afterwards, we've all looked at each other and you went, oh, right. Oh, well, we had five minutes of solid Paolo Natini chat. That, that, they're the exact words, by the way, anybody listening. The exact word that you get in your ear is five minutes to stop talking. Well, I, you know, if you're not in the loop of the jargon, and I heard that, and like literally, I know Paul Nantini a bit, I know a few of his songs and, he, uh, and, and all the rest of it, but all I had to chew on was this email address for the charity, for Marcus Michelli, bless him, you know. So, so you know, it was, it was an important thing. But all I had was Paul Nantini, a couple of songs, and this charity. Well, I must have said this charity email address in about 15 different ways www what is it Paolo again www and, 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 and I could see Susie because it was this is Susie at this point this is not Melter so I could see Susie literally falling out with me as the seconds went by and I couldn't figure out why she's getting so annoyed at me and then the daggers by the time four and a half minutes come she actually elbowed me she elbowed me <laughs> TV gold, this was. Yeah, he says, what's the problem? He says, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, someone said five minutes to stop talking. (laughs) 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 It was hilarious. When I I, I told her at the end, because she really fell out of me too. She was really like, uh, because she didn't have a, she didn't have a chance to like uh, have a bit of a a warm up to to close the show. Because five minutes to stop talking. 30, 30 seconds to go, well, it's been brilliant, blah, 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 blah. We'll see you again next time. Well, I didn't even give a chance to give any of that. He's like, anyway, Paolo, cheers. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> and, and literally, every, everybody everybody was going, what happened then? What happened? And James Why is all you confused. Stop joking, James? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh. Uh, well, when I, when I look back now and, and I when I watched it, he's like, oh my God. No wonder, like, shut up. What's he, what's he still talking for about this website? Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, it was gone. Hey, listen, I've not, asked, I've not asked the big questions. Well, get them in then. Yeah, James, with this podcast, yes. we like to get to know the guests a little bit. You know, we'll have a chat, small talk, mainly. And then... As it gets near to the end, I ask the big, hard-hitting question. These are the oh, questions that you, you'll have been challenged throughout your career. You've, you, you know, you've you've done a bit of travelling. You've been interviewed from all sorts of people, but this is where it gets hardcore, right? So I'm going to ask. It's a quick. Oh, let me sit down. Let me sit down. Yeah. Let me sit down. <laughs> right. 
it's quick fire, quick fire, right? So you're a clean living type of guy, but what's your tipple? What's your drink? If you, if you're, uh, I know as a, as a Yorkshireman, you, you won't have been to a bar, but you know, oh, you won't walk to, to a bar first. But what's your drink? You are. Uh, what's my what? I'll, I'll call it drink, you mean, mate? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a whiskey lover. Um, I, Ooh, I, I do, I do, I do, I do enjoy a nice. Uh, Nice, nice malt, uh, malt whiskey. Um, no ice, no nothing. Just uh, hey, we had, just, just we had a few of them. We had a few of them on the way to Japan that time. God, we were a mess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When we got upgraded, you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll, hey, I remember. Remember, remember, remember when we got on the flight? Where, where was it when we got on that flight and we sat together? We had that really, really, really deep chat together. We were, we were in a right mess, weren't we? But anyway, that was, was it. That was on, that was it. We got upgraded to first. Yeah, we got good into that, first class. That was it. That was it. That was it. it, was, oh, it was, 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 you know where you fell asleep in the toilet. That's not that one. That weren't that one, <laughs> but that, that has happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's probably when I was talking to him again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Next question. <laughs> what? Uh, whose poster did you have on your wall as a kid? Oh, I had Mick Doohan. Uh, Kevin Swans was my main my, my main uh, inspiration. Uh, so I'd make doing Kevin Swan and a Foggy, obviously, Foggy post it. Yeah. Oh, well, unlucky. Um, so uh, you're in the casino. You've had a big night in the casino, James. It's been a successful night. You're 500 quid up. You've taken advantage of the free drinks. You've got a nice buzz on. It's come to the end of the night. You've got your 500 pounds worth of chips in your hand and you're like, right, I'm going to walk out of here. Do you walk out, put it in your pocket and think, I've done well there? Or do you do, like I always seem to do, I think, well, I didn't have this before I came in here, so I'm going to do one last bet, red or black, and try and double it. What's your approach? <laughs> A competitive sportsman's mind is never, it doesn't like to be comfortable, does it? <laughs> ne- never satisfied. It's never satisfied. So yeah, I'd, I'd be all on red as I walk out big time. Good lad, respect, respect. Uh, you see, I didn't know. Right. I didn't know about that there when the Yorkshire bit takes over because I know I'd be, I'd be straight out. I'd be like five hundred quid. There we are. I'm rubbing my hands together. That's the five hundred quid you started with. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. You so, don't realise how much a Yorkshireman has to earn. So go on. So over the years, you've raced lots of championships, lots of races, practice sessions. What, out of all those years, has been the standout moment by another rider where you thought, oh, my God, have you just seen what he's done? Has there been a moment like that you could go, oh, when Rossi outbreak me into turn one? Or has there been a moment that you've gone, that I'll never forget? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it still hurts today. Um, when Bayless pit me uh, at the at Aston um, across the line oh, yeah. in race two, in um, um, because I didn't really mess up the chicane so much, and, and, and I definitely, obviously, thought that no one was going to be beating me across the line. But um, but it was the battle before that because um, uh, my tyres were a bit better than Troy's towards the last few laps, and but when he did that. He actually he took his helmet off on the slowdown lap and and literally threw it on the floor, smashed it on the floor, and and went ballistic. And um, because he took his helmet off, I was able to see his eyes and his face as I kind of I caught him up to just congratulate him basically. And he was absolutely um, wired. And that yeah. was the, that was the 
but it was it was one of the rare times, especially because Bayless was so tenacious with it. Um, I actually was like, whoa, you know, that that guy's got just as much demons as I have. Yeah, yeah. And that was a real moment. Yeah, I can't believe him from throwing yeah, his helmet on the floor. <laughs> that was Dennis a real moment. Crap. Where, where... Oh, go on, go on, go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a real moment of realizing why Troy Bayless was so hard to beat. Because when 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 the helmet comes off in that moment, just after you cross the line, after you've kind of like you you've got the win of your life. Because I can't tell you that I did have a bit of an advantage on on the last half of that race, and and for him to have won that race, he, he I can't tell you how well he rode to to beat yeah, me yeah. on that second race with the with the underserve. Um so, yeah, that, that's definitely up there, even though it's painful because it hit me, but, uh, yeah, respect. Yeah, no respect. respect. Well, last question, and it's a main question, really. We've had a slow build-up across there, then questions. I've asked you four relatively tricky ones, but this is the main question. You've had some incredible teammates throughout your career. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, who would you say has been your best ever teammate? <laughs> <laughs> I would have never thought. I would have never thought that question was going to come up. <laughs> I'm such a dick, I know. Uh, Regis Riccioni. Yeah, oh, I bastard. thought so. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, it's <laughs> Now, the two top. years far we go, fond, very, very fond memories, definitely. Top. Uh, I just got detail, a WhatsApp message saying, cut him yeah. off. What? What do you mean, Neil? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the gallery on there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The gallery's uh, on. Five minutes, uh, one <laughs> second to stop talking. Uh, James, we better let you get going because uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time. I just want to ask you about your, your risk because we'd, we'd seen um, you'd had operations and all that and, and you were talking about how it had healed and you had to go back. What What's the latest on it? Yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of a ten year thing. The risk. obviously in two thousand and eleven, I crashed at Aragon in Spain just testing, and obviously I dislocated all the bones so badly that uh, they had to partially fuse it. It retired me, obviously, and then I've had another procedure after that to try and take away some pain because they had to put some more screws in. And um, literally, I took my mum into the hand and wrist specialist that I had because uh, she got really bad arthritis in her knuckles, and I sat there with her just before Christmas in December. And I always asked him regularly, is there something new that can be done? And he said, actually, James, you've, you've dropped on a little bit because I've done 12 procedures with this new Armande disc. And basically, they remove four bones out of the eight in your wrist and they carve an arc in the front and they replace that with a, like a, um, um, uh, it's a disc that's shaped like an arm and that's why he calls it an arm disc. Um, and supposedly, it creates like a ball and joint to give you more movement and less pain. And um, I'm five months in, and I've just been to the hospital again this morning just for another checkup because I'm still on very, very strong painkillers on, on the opioid with tramadol. And it's 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 been unbelievably painful to get um, to, to recover from this. It's not like a normal break where six weeks you're back on your feet again. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I still wake up three or four times a night in excruciating pain, even last night. And that's why I got the medication again today, this morning. Uh, and it could be another two or three months before it does settle down. It's 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 like a six to eight month recovery wow. for it to settle down enough for, to know where you're going to be. And it's it's been a, it's I knew it was going to be a huge operation, but I, I, you, you know, like these right next three weeks of lockdown where everybody's used to two three weeks, but not not six. And that's what it's been like for me really uh, with this procedure. I, I, it's been really really tough mentally because I'm not used to months and months and months of absolutely excruciating pain. 
Um, so it's, uh, it's it's been a battle and it's been a challenge, lads. But um, there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel now. And uh, I'm going to have another procedure called manipulation in a couple of weeks' time where they put you under and they do literally rag the wrist into the um, to, to the flexibility that it's supposed to have. Um, I've had it already. I'm going to have another one done. You can keep on doing um, and then, but it, it, it because it retired me from this nine years ago, and I'm still living like this with it. It's it's been a slog, lads. I can imagine. Years, I must admit. Yeah, bloody hell. I mean, I, I sounds mean, horrendous. It does. Yeah, it sounds, sounds horrendous. I mean, mate. no, you say. Um, you know, you're not used to paying over that. I don't think anyone would be, would they? And so, uh, yeah, so, well, all the best with that. And uh, I remember you, you put yeah, that cheers. video of you having the manipulation or that you were going to have it, and it sounded horrific. It sounded horrific. So, yeah. well, we wish yeah. you all the best with that and the recovery from it. And it doesn't sound fun at all, but let's hope that uh, you get some more movement with it. That's what we're all uh, hoping for. Fingers crossed. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, right, uh, James. Thank you so much for uh, for chatting to us. It's been enlightening. I'm sure Neil will agree to, and we appreciate absolutely you giving, giving been, up your time for us. Uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, no, no been, problem. Like you say, really enlightening. Yeah. Loved it. No Thanks, problem, James. Like, you know, you, you know, you're good friends of mine, and uh, you know, I'm, it's a much easier to talk openly and, and honestly. And uh, I hope everybody enjoys. Obviously, because of that, because we're good friends, we can we can speak in this way and. Um, yeah. You're doing the top job, boys, of, of entertaining people, and, and I just uh, hope that um, we can find a vaccine soon in this world and get back to some kind of normality and we can uh, go and do what we love doing, which is watching motorcycle racing again soon. Yeah, that's what we Absolutely. all want to do. Right, yeah, yeah. wish you all the best, uh, James, and we'll catch up soon. Catch up soon. Cheers. Cheers, Thanks, mate. Cheers, Cheers. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Oh, great to hear from James. You know, he's so honest, isn't he, to, to share all those things with us. And uh, we do appreciate I'm sure people at home thoroughly appreciate someone talking so candidly. I know we got so much uh, feedback from Scott Redding, how open he was. So uh, it's, you know, someone that we know well. And we know that, it, you know, I, I didn't, when I, I asked him at the start, I know the story. And you don't know, you don't want to force someone or ask someone to, to be as open as that. But the fact he can be, uh, is great and, and great to hear. Um, just not easy, is it, for, for JT? It's never easy. But we know, because of how he is, and, and people at home will know, that um, the risk thing is just another hurdle he'll overcome. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like it's, it's, yeah, it's another challenge that he will conquer. But, God, it sounds painful, doesn't it? It sounds oh, awful. That manipulation. I'm, I'm, oh. I, I, God, I've known JT forever. That is the most open interview i've ever i've never heard him talk quite like that mm. so you know like I say i knew bits of the the story but not a whole of it the the, the whole story of all and the little, little things like um you know I, I had my dad my dad was like really into bikes loved building bikes did a bit of racing himself i always had someone to talk to you know like when i'd finish a race or a race weekend at home, we'd either be like, oh, yeah, you're panicking too much or you're rushing into you too much, whatever advice. Nearly all riders end up with that sort of background, but I, I, I'd never really thought James had nobody. Mm. So he had to figure it out himself. And he was a little student, you know, he'd, just, he'd, take, he'd absorb everything, wouldn't say that much. You know, like I said, he kept everything, his cards close to his chest. But, uh, yeah, I definitely understand him more now. Definitely. Yeah, I, I apologise as well. There was a little bit at the beginning that I missed. I took myself out of the call by accident. So you two were just talking to each other. 
Uh, we are so untech savvy on this, aren't we? And what have you? You've messed uh, up your recording at the same time. Yeah, so. well, I, I always record the the beginning, the middle bit, the main interview, and the end. And so far, I've messed up the beginning and the whole interview. I haven't recorded, but this last bit. So so far, you've got two, three minutes of me. <laughs> so we are um, trying to work yeah, it out. We're not exactly good luck with that. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, we are not tech gurus, as as you might tell. And in the last episode, I did uh, make a plea. Um, so please, please, I don't know what we want. What do we want? Well, we want someone to tell us how we should be doing it properly. But anyway, uh, we hope yeah. you're enjoying it and uh, still um, enjoying listening to our podcasts on lockdown. Originally, we've only ever made them for you guys. So let us know if there's anyone you want us to speak to. We've got loads more ideas of people. We've got a few things, irons in the fire. We're just waiting for them to come through uh, for people to chat to. And we had we'll a, have to get well, Bayless. Well, yeah, oh, Troy's definitely. And Chris Vermeulen actually has got is a, be great. Yeah. a great person to speak to. Um, we have got Mick Doohan and Kevin Schwantz joining us sort of for, with BT, aren't we, on Sunday for the new series, yeah. Greatest Years, which I'm looking forward yeah. to, um, starting with 1992. We didn't quite get the concept across when we were talking about it on uh, last Sunday's programme. Um, uh, basically, we've done the greatest race, picked the greatest race. Well, now we're not going to pick a greatest year. We're just going to highlight some of the best races from some of the great years. So 1992, uh, you've got your... Schwantz against Uranus, Mick Doohan is there, uh, massive injuries for him, big crashes, just it was the 500 and the the, the heart of that era. It'll be it'll be fantastic, I've actually got motor course next to me in the office now on my bed from that year and it's so interesting really, because I remember bits but you don't remember it all and that's what's going to be fascinating on uh, on Sunday watching some of them races. I've like, got say, a motor course remember the, from that year. Have you? Yeah. yeah, to try and yeah, just get up to speed with it. Well, I was I Leave was it. 14 at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I was younger than that. So, yeah, incredible. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, yeah. you were there. You were there. <laughs> I was there. No, I was only there for one. I was a wild card. Right, okay. That wasn't my first full seat. No. So. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I don't know who you're trying to kid. Yeah, yeah, it's in says it in motorcourse. Uh, right. Um, oh, we got a comment, by the way, uh, Neil, on uh, the last episode. Uh, Peachy on Twitter says that the Ride to Win DVD um, is available still. Oh. From uh, yeah. Duke Video, but he reckons it's overpriced. Or he or she. Go on, no. sorry. Go on. 99p. £2.99. £2.99. They missed the trick with it not being one pound and putting one oh oh, didn't they? They missed the trick. Yeah, I think missed that, opportunity. The bargain someone, so, yeah, someone in marketing needs to kick up the arse for that. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't spend nearly three quid on it. It's a waste of time. <laughs> just don't. Just don't. Uh, right. <laughs> I, I I always end by asking you what you're up to, what you've got going on this week, Neil. Um. Obviously, it's starting to rain which is depressing. We've been so lucky with the weather. I've got quite a lot of jobs to do in the house because I live in an old barn and there's a lot of cobwebs. And I've oh, and it's well boring, isn't it? But I'm going to have to be doing loads of vacuuming of cobwebs. Send us a pic with your, feather duster, with your feather duster in a hand. Yeah, exactly. I hate myself for saying it. Yeah, I might, need, I might need some alcohol to get me through it. So, you know... If it's not broke, it don't need fixing. That's what I say. Right, okay. Well, you you keep on the, the straight and narrow, won't you? Make sure you do. What are you up to, Gav? Anything? Um, I've been doing some gardening this morning. 
I've uh, put in more potatoes. You see, my, my, my actual vegetable patch is going quite strong, so I've put some more potatoes in. I've put some bulbs in. I've got a chili plant that's ready to be. So I've been, yeah, I've been doing that today, and I'm oh, cu cutting the lawn good. before it rains. So I'm fingers yeah. crossed. I need to get outside quickly and uh, get that cut. So. Uh, right, that's going to be rather a long episode, so we do appreciate you getting to the end. Please remember to like and subscribe. Well, if you like it, like it. You know, if you didn't like it, don't don't say don't say, just, don't just keep say it to yourself. Just don't or just tweet Gavin. Just call him a dick. That's hey, what I'd do. Well, I was told we should get our own uh, gas it out Twitter account, but do you know what? Technically, do you know what's going to happen if we start doing that? <laughs> Hashtag can't be asked. No, it's not just that. It's uh, well, hashtag blatantly get something wrong. And yeah, I'd put something out we'll there get, that I shouldn't. Yeah, I'll tell you thing. what I do want. I want a Gas It Out t-shirt. That'd be cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd like, I'd like, I actually cool. think that'd be quite, you could have quite a cool logo, couldn't you, on that? I want a yeah, cap. Yeah, cool logo. I want a cap. I like a, trucker, yeah. I like a trucker's cap. Yeah. So if any sponsors out there, <laughs> no, just someone who can. If anyone from Cotton Gin, uh, no or, one from Swarfiga has been in touch. I'll, I'll be honest. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's gone so wrong. You said we'll name drop a few things. You you said we'd be multi-millionaires by now, and so far, we've had an offer of one free tub of Swarfiga, <laughs> and, and Dougie Lampkin's Cotton Gin is yet to arrive on my doorstep. <laughs> Brilliant. Never going to happen. Right, Neil. Thank you so much. Gav, Gav, Gav. Absolutely love you, man. Right, I better go. See you later. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you.